0: The truck! You are
1: listening to Why the
2: Are
1: right, you ready to truck it? It's time for your Nooner with Dooner. Welcome to Monday. Welcome to Monday. Did you have a good weekend, everybody? Did you? our own Craig Fuller, CEO and founder, he took one for the team. Take a look at this over here. He went down to Taylor Swift on Friday, went over there to report on the logistics of what goes down at a Taylor Swift concert. And he had this to say. He said a Taylor Swift concert is a combination of music concert and Broadway play costing over $100 million dollars. Ever wonder what the logistics is for, one of the most expensive concert tours in history? Well, turns out the logistics and transport costs alone are more than $30 million for this tour. It's a massive operation. A trucking fleet of at least 90 trucks will will stay with the tour the entire time and cost as much as a half a million dollars a week. Forbes says she has to pay taxes, her crew, venue rental, tour expenses, possibly redundant trucks, crew, security, musical instruments, and so on and so on. These expenses could range from 20% to 25% of her revenue. There's all those trucks right there. The tour has a large logistical team. I mean, this is a whole big operation to build out and get this coordination. Nothing is left to chance. There are duplicates and backups of everything, including Taylor Swift clone taylor swift confirmed they use multiple stages and crews in different cities to keep this tour rolling one city that has a concert that week they're already be building this out in another one bigger than uh, a football field itself great good thing they're putting these at stadiums the concert schedule that's a big logistical operation too it's it's built to minimize inclement weather starting here in the southeast going up into the northeast and back out west and swift herself she doesn't just ride around in no tour bus no She flies around in a $44 million Falcon 900, that jet right there, at 550 miles per hour between show. In addition, according to Forbes, at each venue, she'll be likely to sell 30,000 pieces of merchandise at an average price of $80 (laughs) per item. Whew! Well, the tour is very expensive to produce. It's a fraction of what she's actually going to net on this tour. Forbes estimates that she will personally grow 620 million and net over 480 million after all of these expenses are paid. It's going to double her, uh, her net worth and crown the era tours the most profitable concert in history. Jeez, must be nice. God bless her. Too rich for my blood. I wasn't able to go to that one. Brandon Chastain says, um, (laughs) just goes to show nothing happens without a truck. That's right. Even Taylor Swift. You went to see her brought to you by a truck. Anyways, on today's show, we got a lot going on. We're catching up with Harbor Trucking Association CEO Matt Schrapp. Schrapp is clapping back against new CARB regulations that aim at radically changing trucking in the next decade. Junction Collaborative Transport's Ian Wyland. he's going to share his perspective on CARB from that of an operator. What is it really like to manage and run an EV fleet and those challenges? I can tell you. I think he has over 50 electric trucks on back order, so not completely sure. It's now a good time to reevaluate your LTL service providers. We got the team from Roadrunner coming on here, and it doesn't matter if you get a dad bod or a trucker bod. You're talking to Jay Trucking's Ryan Hood, he's gonna get our asses in gear. So let's tip the band and we'll get on over to him. Supply chain challenges are not always easy, but the commitment from the team at Dunavant Logistics to take on that responsibility is unwavering. Dunavant, logistically speaking, they're at the center of it all. Visit them at Dunavant.com. Guys in the back, can you wind my clock for me? Thank you. All right, Ryan Hood, driver at Jade Truck and in Inc. What's up, man?
3: Yeah, I'm doing very well, Junior. How you are you doing? Where
1: are you pulled over
3: today? Uh, well, we're in uh, Bartstown, Bartstown, Kentucky here. I think we're at a uh, Lowe's uh, plaza here, there, where the Lowe's hardware is and all that. It's about the only place I could find to uh, park uh, the uh, truck for a little bit.
1: Well, beautiful. What? So how did you get into trucking? How did you uh, start pulling 53s?
3: So I uh, grew up with my course, like every other uh, truck driver, most drivers. My dad was a uh, trucker uh, back in the 70s there. Uh, pretty much raised in a uh, cab over truck spent a lot of years uh, in the cab over sleeping with sleeping in the truck There, going with him all the time like you know like every most uh, drivers did back you know when we were younger and all that stuff Uh, and then uh, basically out of high school I actually wanted to be a firefighter but that didn't quite uh, quite work out that way so I went to uh, the next thing that I knew best, and uh, and that was driving a truck. Uh, started out back in uh, nineteen ninety four. There,
1: what kind of loads are you usually pulling? You ever you ever end up on a Taylor Swift tour?
3: <laughs> I was just looking at that um, that uh, all those numbers that you were putting out there, and that is some uh, logistic nightmare. Um, no, I have. I've actually, uh, to be honest, I have pulled some staging equipment. Um, I think that was for uh, Rihanna. Uh, We um, went to a uh, football field there in uh, Pittsburgh and uh, picked up uh, some uh, staging equipment uh, for her um, because there was so much that they had to call in uh, some more uh, trucking companies to haul the stuff. So that's about as close as I get for uh, that kind of work. Wow. Well, what kind of
1: truck they have you in right now? What are you usually pulling behind you?
3: Uh, I'm in a uh, tanker right now. I'm in a uh, Peterbilt uh, 5, I think they call this a 579 uh, Peterbilt tanker. Um, we haul, uh, when I say we, my uh, wife and I drive together, actually, oh. and uh, we haul sodium caustic um, out of uh, Sarnia, Ontario, down to a little town called uh, Counts, Tennessee, well, before I just we get, started hauling tanker recently. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, before we get into physical fitness, how about a little mental fitness? Got any tips for team drivers out there, especially married team drivers, to do a happy and healthy well, life?
3: That's the funniest thing. Um, so, um, well, A, yes, you've got to like each other. Um, number two, uh, there's no escape. Once you're in a truck uh, with your soon-to-be wife, uh, girlfriend, um, there is no escape uh, from, you know, if you guys have a little bit of an argument fight, there's only the bunk that's about as far as you get. So, um, I think, uh, I think the biggest thing probably is, a uh, compatibility, um, expectations. Um, you know, my, uh, my wife, I knew her from, uh, high school. And so we kind of knew each other. We knew w- what, what we kind of liked, uh, we never really, um, grew apart from our likes and, and and that. So I think once we started getting together, it was a pretty good combination. We kind of fed off each other. Uh, we got to know each other's little, uh, gripes and, and grumbles and, you know, so you try to kind of work around that as best as you can. Um, you know, it's nice to take breaks once in a while, but, I mean, you know it's going to work. We were pretty much trapped together for two years, uh, basically 24-7 uh, at 365. So we experienced pretty much everything that trucking has to offer, and we found out that we liked it. We liked each other, so, I, uh, so we ended up getting married.
1: Wow. Well, you know, my condo when I was living back in Boston with uh with my wife at the time wasn't much bigger than a cab anyway. But how did you get how, how did you get passionate about driver fitness? How did you how did how do you bring this into your work?
3: Okay, so um, I've always been a very uh, I've always been a very active person. I was I was very hyper as a kid. I was full of energy. Um, I had trouble sitting still. I had, uh, you know, back in the 70s, we were all called um, ADHD kids and, you know, they didn't basically know what to do with us, um, you know, and they couldn't figure out why, you know, I couldn't sit still. I couldn't uh, just concentrate. Um, turns out that all I needed was to, you know, burn more energy. Um, so I ended up, uh, working on farms. I started working with, uh, horses. I started, you know, basically, uh, a lot of physical work, cutting grass. Um, I was, um, you know, working with horses and that. So as I was starting getting older, um, I started to, um, you know, of course I was saying that I wanted to be a firefighter and all that. And then when I wasn't working out, um, I started to drive a truck and then I started really seeing, noticing um, how out of shape uh, drivers were. Um, I think one of the biggest turning points that I saw when I was a younger driver was back when we used to have to go into the brokers when, you know, when you're uh, crossing the border and you'd have to go see a broker and then you'd have to go see a, uh, a customs officer. Well, we were all kind of standing in line there and this was all late at night and I'm standing in line with about 40 different drivers. And I'm looking up and down uh the aisle and I kind of saw a lot of drivers that were tired, out of shape, overweight um and I kind of said to myself, I said, "Man, is this is this the bottom of the of the barrel? Like is this is this where everybody goes that, you know, can't really um you know there's nothing else, or is it because of lifestyle? Is it because of bad choices i don 't know if everybody's different um story yeah so that's so that got me thinking that got me thinking to myself that I was determined at twenty two years old that I was going to try to make a difference, try to um not only show myself, not only to learn from myself, but to show other drivers that it is possible to keep yourself healthy, to keep yourself in, in shape, not only both physical, but spiritually, mentally. Um, and so it's it's been a long 30-year 30, 30 journey for me.
1: So what are, you, what are you teaching people when, when you're out here evangelizing driver health? What do you got to do to to get in shape? And then, uh, us guys with the dad bods will be listening, too. I can see uh, Ian Weiland in the green room and, and of course, uh, myself. And I think some of the guys who work in TV, they could use the advice as well.
3: Well, what I've what I've kind of learned over the years and like I'm a little bit extreme, but I started out with the small things like uh, to me, it's simple simple changes um i found that a lot of drivers are are you know of course our main job is sitting so what can we do all this sitting time and that and i found um now it doesn't work for everybody but i find moving around as much as you can not only in your seat but when you, every time you stop every time you go to the washroom every time that you got to get out and check your load check your tires check Check everything. It's the small things like the movements. It's the small things like squatting. Uh, you know, you got to squat down to check your tires. Well, instead of just bending over, why not just squat down, check your tires, do a quick squat, you're back up. You go over to your next tire. You go down, you squat, you you check your 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 you know your tires, your lug nuts, and all that, and you get back up, and you keep working your way around the truck. Uh, well, there's you know there's eight 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 to 10 squats right there. Um, you know, parking as, as far as you can, if, if you can get a parking spot, I know that parking uh, is difficult nowadays, but if you find yourself parking early, park as far as way from the truck stop as you can so that, you know, if you have to go to the truck stop, walk, get that walking in, use every opportunity I find for the small things as much as you can to keep your body moving. That's, that's the biggest small steps I think, and also changing in your eating habits as well. I I find a lot of drivers consume a lot of sugar. As I as I'm in and out of the truck stops, I see drivers, you know, they get the big giant gulps of pop. They get uh, all the sugar that they're dumping into their coffees, um, and it 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 starts to really add up. It it starts to build up, um, you know. And of course, I find and I've learned that, you know, this industry is, it's very hard on, on, on us as drivers. It's definitely not easy to stay in shape or to get in shape, but it is possible. It, it is possible. Um, well, Ryan, and I let me, think let it me starts see. with, it starts with the little things.
1: Well, let me jump in. So, you know, you are, you, you're driving a truck. You can't always bring equipment with you. Sometimes you have to do a little, like, uh, truck stop parkour right Would this like obstacle course this guy's doing here Would this roll this tape guys would this be an effective way to get in shape or is it just wasted motion <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's hard. I think that's a little bit to me that's a little extreme I mean that's I mean the way that he's moving, no, that's well, that though, that's pretty good for his for his shape. Like he's he's moving pretty good for the size of him. Like that's that's very impressive. That's pretty that's to me, that's a little bit extreme, even though I find myself to be extreme. Like I if you were to saw some of my pictures, I can't believe that he can actually do a handstand. That's no it's incredible. That's pretty impressive.
1: I, I'm saying there's so well before before I let you go, what tip do you have for for people out there who want to get on that road to getting healthy, you know, summertime is coming up, even if you don't want to look better, you got to be a little bit healthier. So where do we set, like, what do we get them on, on the path?
3: Uh, I think it's the, uh, I think it's the small changes that you got to make. I think it's, uh, it's being disciplined. It's uh, moving, um, moving more. That's the biggest thing. Get yourself moving. Um, Keep a, keep an eye on your diet. Keep about what you're actually putting in your body. Um, I think that's another big step. There's so many little changes that you can make um, instead of, you know, reaching for a candy bar, reach for some fresh fruit Uh, instead of a hamburger, reach for a salad instead of, uh, you know, just the the small little changes, I think, are the biggest things that can help. Um, And I I know that it is possible to make a a lifestyle change.
1: Ryan, thank you so much for uh, inspiring us to get on that journey. We appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming on the show.
3: No, very, you're uh, very welcome. Thank you for having me. Take care. All right, everybody. Meanwhile,
1: let's see, here's what not to do at a port. Sure, uh, Elin doesn't, Ian Wyland doesn't let his guys do anything like this. Christopher Cole said, "Thankfully, no one was hurt, but this shows." What a near-miss looks like, a near-miss is when an accident only almost happens, but is prevented at the last moment. It's a warning sign that action needs to be taken to prevent a potentially serious incident from happening in the future. Stay safe and always be aware of potential hazards. That's right. Jason Wilcox says, not even remotely the right equipment to be handling that sea can. Ronald G says, definitely an empty container. The rear wheels are always lifting. Um hope he's not trying to stack that container which looks to be the case a serious bodily injury and property damage in the making. Francesco says it's forbidden to handle an empty 40 container with a forklift. Tony Darnell says this is every lift driver ever in history of driving forklifts. If you think otherwise you don't know anything about lift truck drivers. Daniel Kalmar says especially at 1:20 p.m. at any R.F.V. plant, Jesse Griffin, um gonna need those e-logs to prove it wasn't damaged in transit. Tim Tran Takes his operation, take his operations card away immediately, and give him a broom. His next Fu may just kill someone. And Emily Dresh says the boys, this boys and girls is how holes in the floor happen. Of course, not a, a great example of how to do things. All right, Sherry Leon, vice president of line hall operations at Roadrunner, is here with us now. Hey, Sherry, did you get to go to that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three premiere? I saw it on on Chris's LinkedIn page, and I didn't know if you got to go too.
2: You know, I didn't. I wasn't able to attend, actually, but uh, I I heard um, all positive news about it. You know, really, really great marketing, really a a cool event. You know, that's when it comes down to it. But uh, unfortunately, no, I wasn't a part of that one.
1: Where are you coming into us from today? What part of the world are you sitting at?
2: So I'm actually in our corporate office in Downers Grove, Illinois, outside of Chicago. Um, uh, About 30, you know, about 30 miles outside of Chicago. So you
1: know, I interviewed um, someone from Roadrunner about a year ago. And at the time, you had talked about big changes that were happening in your network. And since it's been about a year and and, and that's happened, how is that affecting your network and capacity and service levels? That's what everybody's been talking about lately.
2: Sure. Um, so our new network um, has really, really um, allowed us to focus truly on improving our service, right? That's um, that's really where our focus ha- has been Um We've reduced transit times uh, four times over the last 18 months, so which is huge. Um, hundreds of lanes, um, millions and millions of zip code combinations. So, really being able to uh, to pro- to provide that service to our customers, you know, as as our network continues to grow, um, focusing also on uh, on 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 time service there. So, um, <clears throat> as uh, as you also know, you know, we um, with the focus on service, we moved entirely away um, from, from the rail, right. Um, we've got our, our, plan set up based on, uh, teams based on solos running specific days. And again, just completely shifted our focus away from the rail, um, part of our, our new network, which is really exciting. Um, because, yeah. uh, that was kind of something that overshadowed us in the past, right?
1: I'm curious, cause that, that's had to be a, you know, a big decision to move away from there. What, what have you learned since moving away from the rail?
2: Uh, we learned that customers definitely appreciate service a lot more, um, yeah. you know, although, you know, although rail could, you know, work to, to some uh, advantages for sure. Um, it's, it's, it definitely um, has, has really showed us that service is most important. You've got a commitment to your customer and, and, you know, you commit to getting something there, something there on a specific day, they hold you to that word and, and, you know, you, you need to definitely um, show them that you can provide that. Um, and, and putting it on a rail, you know, there's not, uh, there's not necessarily a guy sitting behind the truck uh, uh, driving that from origin to destination. So, you know, you could experience delays and such. So these at least are, are more under our control.
1: How's the, uh, how's the Denver market treating you? I know you expanded over there recently.
2: So Denver's exciting. Um, we, uh, we opened up Southern California um, to Denver back in February. Um, it was a huge market for us back in the past. Um, and, uh, we, we kind of look to, uh, to open that market up again. So it's been really, really successful. Um, you know, again, um, providing great service and, and pricing there for our customers. Um, two months later, which just in April last month, we, uh, decided to open up the Chicago market, um, going back into Denver, which includes Chicago, Milwaukee, um, Kenosha, Cleveland, Detroit, as well as our Philadelphia, um, location. So it's, uh, it's exciting. Um, and, uh, definitely, uh, more to come here in the future with some of the new markets that, uh, you know, that makes sense for us, right? If it makes sense for us to, to open them up and expand, we're, we're going to definitely take a look at it.
1: How should we be thinking about LTL right now? It's a very volatile market. I talk mostly in truck load and flatbed, but I know LTL has had it's challenges as well. If I'm sitting around and I'm either looking at RFPs, I'm shipping managers, should I should I think about reevaluating LTL now, this year? Where should my head be at?
2: Sure, for sure. Um, you know, coming out of, you know, the last few years, right? Coming out of a pandemic, right? Um, you know, are we out of it? Are we in still, you know, nobody really knows. But, you know, a crazy couple of years that we had, you know, I don't think anybody really knew you know, how to how to reset or when it was time to reset. You know, we saw, um, you know, volume spike, volume's cool, you know, warehouse is full, inventory, um, you know, just, just kind of everything off, clearly. Again, I don't think there was ever really a book that said, um, hey, this is what you do when you get out of a pandemic, right? Um, so that being said, you know, that really gave us an opportunity over the last, you know, two, three years, really the last year um, to really, again, focus on, on a new roadrunner you know the new 2023 roadrunner um but hey the, we're, we're out there right opening up new markets our services is better than it's ever been you know it's a great time to to, to take a look at at roadrunner and look at the ltl business
1: well then how like there are a lot of people that have struggled in this market right how does your model insulate you from some of this volatility that's been happening
2: so it doesn't necessarily insulate us, right, from a volume standpoint. Um, we have um, the same customers, you know, similar customers and other LTL. But um, because of our operating model, you know, it's flexible. It's allowing us for, you know, to, to, to change costs, to help, um, you know, to, to, to help with the service, which really helps customers in, in, in really tough times, right? Um you know, we've got uh, um, mainly owner, you know, owner operators here at Roadrunner, not necessarily company drivers, you know, so our owner operators are also partners with us, right? Our partners want to do great things. They want to grow with us, right? So, you know, a, a big piece there as well.
1: Well, very cool. People want to learn more about Roadrunner. They want to evaluate that LTL, or maybe they have freight in Denver. Where do I send them to?
2: Uh, you send them to our, our incredible sales team, right? You could send them to me over here in Downers Grove for sure, um, but uh, um, freight going to Denver, not out of Denver, right? Sure. Freight going to Denver is definitely. Um, but send them over here to Roadrunner; um, they can they can contact us um, via phone, they can contact us on our website, um, social media, LinkedIn. We're we're pretty much everywhere, so.
1: Well, very cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate it.
2: Thanks so much. Appreciate you. Take care.
1: Take care. All right. Send us the hard stuff. That's what Dunavant Logistics says. When you run into that really challenging logistical nightmare that keeps you up at night, call the good folks over at Dunavant. They make headaches disappear. Visit them at Dunavant.com. All right. Elsewhere, this is via terrifying nature. They say here, the average cat's reaction time is 20 to 70 milliseconds, which is faster than the average average snake's reaction time of 44 to 70 milliseconds. I think the harbor trucking association's reaction time to electrification is that of a cat or that of a snake i don't know let's find out let's talk to matt schrapp ceo at harbor trucking association no that's ian ian's a great guy too though but hey. well, well ian's up next guys matt schrapp is the other gentleman i mean ian's ian's like hot that. stuff too they're both yes. here hey matt yes. how's it going
0: good dinner how are you doing it was good to see ian there briefly too so right on He's he's, he's listening.
1: If he gets really animated, I'll just, I'll I'll whip him up here with us.
0: Okay, perfect. I like it. I like it. Um, Yeah, we're not quite as nimble as the, uh, you know, the felines out there, but I'll definitely tell you, we've been been watching this coming for a while. So ideally we're going to have, you know, something that isn't as, I guess, like getting snake bit or scratched by a cat for that matter. Nobody likes cat scratch fever, so to speak so
1: (laughs) well you know you have you mentioned you've been talking about this for a while you've been informing me about this for a while but then about last week when when that ruling came out you got like you know in mad max Fury row when they're beating the war drums and they got the guy with the guitar and the flames coming out that was you on linkedin trying to inform everybody of what's happening so tell us here if, if we haven't read your linkedin post what happened with carb and what has you hitting the drums
0: Well, you know, starting 1124, you cannot add additional capacity to any intermodal gateway, that being class one railroads. Or port maritime facilities in California, so that extends from San Diego all the way up through Northern California. Uh, the Port of Humboldt really isn't a working port anymore, but if it were, it would be required to be electrified, have electrified vehicles servicing it if they were entered into service after 1124. So, it, it, the rule the rule is twofold: where it has a legacy uh, component that allows vehicles to continue to operate until they reach their useful life threshold but the main focus for us has been the 1124 date and then the subsequent initial reporting date that starts 1125 that so far at least in LA Long Beach from what we can tell from ARB zone data looks like about 2000 trucks will be ejected from the drage truck registry on uh, by March 31st of 2025 so a couple dates that aren't that far away and some serious turnover requirements to say the least
1: what are the the stakeholders and the participants in your association saying about these rulings? Are these timelines that they feel they can meet?
0: It's the infrastructure is a problem, dinner. Right, you, there's nowhere to fuel. Or there's not enough fueling, to say the least. While well, you have the Port of Long Beach, who opened up uh, two public chargers available to anybody as long as you're there between eight and five p.m. and you have a staffer. From Port of Long Beach, there to assist you to go through it. Then you can utilize those charging pedestals. We do have some quote unquote behind the fence uh, charging infrastructure that that's private. But again, it's nowhere near enough to support the twenty some odd thousand trucks that are registered to do business there. Yet alone the six thousand that do business there, at least six thousand every single day. So th- that's our problem really, is this infrastructure. No one's arguing against the goals. Uh, we can appreciate, especially some of the near-term exposure stuff for uh, disadvantaged communities, but this isn't about emissions reductions anymore. This is about politics.
1: Well, so you shared a stunning number last week, and I've I've repeated on air here, but it was something like 140,000 by their own numbers, right? 140,000 chargers are needed by 2030, and and that would have meant that last week we had to start building 400 a week in California. Am I correct? Right.
0: Yeah, 157,000. So you were close, you know, so what's 17,000 between friends, right? (laughs) Um, This becomes the challenge is that you pick a number, you have the states saying, well, you know, we want to see, we're going to need rather 147,000 chargers by 2030 to support the medium and heavy duty goals. So that's not just drayage. That is the entire rule construct for the entire state. 157,000 chargers, right? You just start doing the math and, you know, Hey, I'm not, I'm not a mathematician here. I'm a public policy guy, but I'll tell you from my math, that's 400 char- over 400 chargers per week that need to start being installed just to meet that 2030 goal. And I can tell you, we are f- way behind on that number for sure.
1: So what, what is the most immediate impact that is happening in Dre's right now with the 2024 ruling?
0: Mm-hmm. If you need additional capacity after 1124, you will not be able to add anything else except zero emissions. Now, while the West Coast has lost volume because of some uncertainty around the ILWU contract, we've seen discretionary cargo moving to eastern seaboard as well as Gulf ports. Uh, but suffice it to say, when that cargo comes back or even a portion of it starts coming back, we're going to need every able-bodied truck that's available out there. And if you have a customer who wants to bring more freight through these gateways in California. And if you can't meet his, I guess, his or her requirements for volume because you don't have enough trucks registered to do business in the ports, you're going to lose that customer or that customer is going to start seeking out other gateways. So that becomes a problem. We cannot add more capacity unless it's one to one, zero emissions. One goes out, new zero emission truck comes in. And that is just... Because of the woeful laugh of lack of charging infrastructure and the timelines it takes to get this charging infrastructure installed, we're just not—we're not, not going to be there. So people could start seeing uh, customers going to other gateways, not just because of the ILWU contract, but because of the massive uncertainty surrounding these these mandates coming out of Sacramento.
1: What are my options if I'm a carrier looking to get a zero emission truck in time for 2024?
0: there are some providers out there who could literally get you a truck next week. I know Nicola has their tray Bev that's available and, you know, I got to give them credit. They're trying to come up with a solution for charging using their fuel cell, like a mobile fuel cell charging apparatus that would then fuel the chargers themselves, which then transfer to the truck. Um, the, stuff's expensive, right? I mean, even if you wanted to go with the traditional OEMs, you know, the Packars, the Volvos, the Daimlers of the world, uh, you're looking at extended timelines, and no matter what, these trucks are pretty expensive. I mean, out the door after FET, after sales tax, you're pushing about half a million dollars. And, of course, the government's going to throw some money at it, but you're still looking at financing perhaps at least $300,000, uh, even two hundred fifty, dollars and getting a finance company to issue you a loan on a truck that doesn't have any type of residual value established is a challenge to say the least. So small fleet operators, especially are going to be up against the wall here, even if they wanted to order them truck might get here next week, but it's going to take you two years to get that infrastructure installed.
1: What is the port's plan for electrification? What has port of uh, long beach and port of LA shown you, are they planning on servicing these electric vehicles or are the carriers on their own? How is this logistically supposed to work?
0: I'd say the carriers are more on their own. Uh, The ports have, you know, there's a lot of lip service out there. Uh, I know the Port of Long Beach put out a press release basically applauding this uh, ruling. And you might have seen my LinkedIn post with a couple memes that I created about that. If you have any, I encourage everyone to go check it out. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, But suffice to say, you have Long Beach who's deployed a couple. You have literally two. You have LA that's looking into potentially another project for public facing. Uh, You have private industry really that's kind of picking up the ball and running with it. But as far as the ports are concerned, there's just not a lot of land that's available. And Long Beach, I have to give them credit, they went and surveyed all the property that they either had direct control over or some sort of ancillary control, and they were able to determine that they could bring 22 megawatts of additional capacity into the port marketplace Um, If they started developing, you know, today, which is not the case, obviously, but at least they went out, they identified that they would be able to bring 22 megawatts into the system. The problem is, is that, you know, back in the napkin calculations using demand curves coming from the Energy Commission, using relatively conservative volume estimates, uh, we need 150 megawatts to be brought online. In 2025, when those 2,000 trucks are booted out of the system, assuming they're replaced one-to-one with electric, we're going to need 150 to 200 additional megawatts. Long Beach was only able to identify 22. So we've got a long road ahead of us, to say the least.
1: So when you speak at these things, you talk to the port, you talk to these regulators, and you give this type of pushback, what do they say to you?
0: Well, (laughs) publicly or privately, right? It depends on who you ask. But publicly, I can tell you it's all about, you know, depending on which political wind is blowing that day, it's either about climate change or it's about localized exposure. Now, localized exposure is a different animal than climate change. I don't care what environmentalists want to say to couch the two together, while they may be intertwined, when we think about air quality, we're thinking about diesel particulate matter. We're thinking about oxide to nitrogen, which is a precursor to ozone that causes smog, right? These are have found by the t- t- California Resources Board to be toxic air contaminants. It's one thing to talk about reducing emissions for communities that are in and around ports. And you know they bus people up to these events or into whenever this is being discussed, where you have um, little kids, senior citizens, high school activists coming out, basically saying trucks are killing me. Uh, your your listeners are no stranger to that narrative, unfortunately. But out here in California, you know, it's it's created, I guess, enough zealots to, to get us to the point where we are now facing uh, a, a a label of more or less being an environmental racist if you come out against this stuff. So. You know, when we're up there and we're trying to explain it, it's like, look, we don't, we're not against the goals. We understand the goals. It's getting there to that point in time. If the state were to say, okay, 2035 is our target date and we'll look at 2035 and we'll make that where we're shooting to, that would be one thing. Because then that would allow time for the infrastructure to develop. It would have time for the diesel cost parity to meet the you know, the, electric, the electric truck side or even the hydrogen truck side for that matter. But we don't have time. Time is against us. And we keep trying to remind people that you know if we're going to move down this pathway, this rule is going to fail and it's not going to meet the goals that the community wants to see in the first place. We would think they would be our biggest advocates in driving home reform, either in permitting, or accelerated uh, timelines for infrastructure deployment but yet all they do is just you know, call us baby killers basically and haven't really added any constructive perspective to the discussion so far so you know california like i said you know they affectionately referred to as the land of fruits nuts and flakes um we'll see what happens i guess dinner
1: well if, do you have if you had a solution you are in charge now matt what would your solution be
0: Honestly, I'd parse out the two between climate change and localized reductions. If we're talking about localized exposure, we could be looking at renewable fuels, uh, especially renewable natural gas that has zero diesel particulate matter associated with it. It's also removing another short-term climate pollutant known as methane from dumps, from sewage treatment plants, from cow farts and cow burps, right? Uh, This methane recapture is a real thing. Biogas is a real thing. You can refine it into a transportation fuel. If we were looking at trying to be serious about mandating engine and emissions technology, that would be the first step. I mean, the diesel engine has come so far. If it's running appropriately, its emissions are very low, right? So if we're really talking about localized exposure, we could have a much more palatable pathway for deployment, Uh, either clean diesel, the newest clean diesel, or even this renewable natural gas platform. You have infrastructure. You have a sales support network. You have a repair network and service network, a parts network. The electric trucks are still, you know, they're burgeoning right now. It's not a fully commercialized technology. It's, we are years away from it. So why not take some steps to allow that to come into the marketplace? Uh, the state of California, right now, the leadership, their motto is, you know, regulate it and forget it. And if you don't like it, sue us. That that's their mantra. And frankly, they're leaving the communities behind. And I don't know even know if the communities know it.
1: Wow. Wow. Powerful words. Well, the other issue that has um maybe been keeping some freight away from the port other than the economy has been the ILWU contract. Any developments there? Or are we still sort of in that holding pattern we've been for the past
0: few months? We're in a we're in a holding pattern, but we're getting closer. We are getting much closer than we have been in the last year. Uh, they've agreed on some staffing. Uh, we've got the benefits issue worked out. The T5 up in Seattle, which was also an issue. Terminal Five about jurisdiction relative to another union uh, providing maintenance and repair on dock there. So all of those things are being res- have been resolved or getting darn near close to being resolved. So hopefully, we're going to see some resolution here sooner than later because. You know, the other ports clearly, while there may be a little bit of backup, they are making investments into infrastructure in Houston, in Charleston, in Savannah, in Norfolk. Uh, They are salivating to get this cargo from california but as i've warned all my colleagues over there you want that california freight you're going to get those california problems and sure enough they've been experiencing that but when the answers to shippers and to other trucking outfits from these port authorities and from the states since they're operating ports for the most part you know the question is is like well i need a warehouse and their answer is well how big do you want it right There's not a CEQA, California Environmental Quality Act, out there. You don't have as many prevailing wage issues. So it's it's much easier to tilt up a warehouse and start building roads and infrastructure and even rail, for that matter, to service this cargo. So if they keep it up, I don't think that shippers are necessarily going to be shying away from utilizing those other gateways, despite the shorter trip here to the West Coast, despite all the infrastructure we have. You know, we try to say, like, look... The West Coast is the best coast. We will take this freight. We will handle it. We have the warehouses. We have the trucks. We have the on-dock rail. Uh, We've got the labor on dock, but the uncertainty is what gives shippers pause. And clearly, they can make that decision to rather go through the Panama Canal than to have to deal with what's going on out here in California.
1: Well, there is one certainty that you are going to have a lot of trouble adding capacity come 2024 with these new regulations in California. People who uh, are in the, the crosshairs, they've got California freight. They are concerned about what's happening here. Maybe they're not ready or maybe they got to consider another port. Where do I send them to?
0: Well, you can always check us out at harbortruckers.org or, you know, please follow me on LinkedIn if you're out there. Uh, It's great to have these conversations with folks out in this public forum and try to really educate. That, That is our mission on all of this is to really educate the entire community about what the state of California is doing relative to electrification or even zero emission mandates. Again, nobody is opposed to the goals. It's how we get there. And until we can get enough critical mass of people to understand that, we're going to be facing down the barrel. And, you know, this light at the end of the tunnel is a train. It's not some relief coming at us quicker, sooner than later. So please check us out out there. I love to have conversations with folks. And, and thank you always for the opportunity, always here to help spread the good word. And I may not have any good news, but I sure do try to deliver it.
1: <laughs> yeah, keep playing, keep playing that Mad Max Fury Road guitar with the the fire coming out of it. I'm gonna actually find out how this is impacting operator too. You saw Ian Weiland's earlier. We'll jump over to him yep. in just a second. Thank you so much for your time. But Thank everybody, you dinner. before we do that, we gotta rate the. I guess we'll call it rate the strap work. Rate the strap work. Uh, check out this strap right here. Dad always being uh, the kings of innovation. Got this one right around his belt. You can just clamp this right right across you to make sure it doesn't go off. Morgan Gowlick says, uh, best strap work I've ever seen, end of story. Joseph Meaton, that's actually the best tourniquet if you ever need one in a pinch. Good example. Uh, Bob Bussey says A plus, and steven Tittle says those plant those pants aren't moving anywhere. All right, Ian Wyland, he's COO at Junction Collaborative Transports. Ian, you got a strap around your waist? I at the moment I do. I I, I have a belt. Nah, uh, I actually just got a
4: new belt this weekend.
1: You were looking good. Uh, I, I saw you over at uh touch a truck. How did you like to touch a truck over in long beach? Oh, that was a blast.
4: That was a blast. The, the, t- to comment on <laughs> what Matt uh, just said, it's, it's as if the general public thinks that I, I bathe my children in diesel, uh, of which is by far not the truth. And that we are pro, uh, you know, uh, solution based or we want solutions. Uh, and we want to be able to, uh, provide solutions it's just they just aren't there yet
1: what, what kind of um, trucks were they off showing the- off those solutions at this i say i see an electric vehicle right there and i also I, you didn't sprain your ankle jumping off that flat bit did you you looked awfully nimble
4: no that that was the second attempt <laughs> first <laughs> i was pretty very aggressive we uh we we had to look for uh something fun to do that that first one was a black uh swat vehicle very cool Ooh. uh yeah my daughter got in up the top out the top. Uh, I would say I voted that my coolest. Um, and then there was another one that was just creepy. It was a uh a coffin that was made into a dragster. And the the woman, I didn't get a picture of her shirt, but it says his and hers racing.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. That's a little that's was a little dark. Creepy? Yeah.
4: Well, I, I just I'm like, I gotta get one with my daughter in the picture to set it's my wife because she didn't come, but just keep up the creepiness.
1: Well, Ian, before you came on, I mean, you you heard your buddy Matt, right? He's been screaming from the mountaintops about about carb and all of its challenges. But he's he's an association; he's supposed to be doing that. You are a company that um is in the is in the line of fire for these new regulations. Let's talk from that perspective. How are these new carb regulations impacting JCT?
4: I first of all, I wore these glasses so that we were able to speak smarter yes. uh, in regards to. Um, so that we, and at least sound like we know what we're talking about. Um, the, the return, there's a couple things that we have, that we've looked at. It's the return of investment, uh, efficiency, and how much of, how viable is this for future truckers to enter the market and grow, uh, into our industry. And that's what Matt touched on at the end with the one, one, uh, starting next year if you want to grow, um, it's, you know, you got a price tag of 500 K like right in your face just for the truck itself. Um, it's tough. It's tough. Wow. It's, uh, the, the trucks cost about, you know, four to $500,000 if you want to buy a truck, um, or an electric truck. And that said, you'll get the lease guys wh- who will offer you. And, and what I equi- equate equate it to for someone that's not familiar is these, the leasing guys are like gas stations for like let's say diesel stations. And that if you, they will lease you the vehicle as long as you charge your vehicle or fill up at their leasing stations, which are, you know, at multiple different points around what would be the LA SoCal area. And if you fill up at their place of which you're, you have to, um, you know, you can lease the trucks from them and they will, uh, offer. I, I, I don't know if they're a deal or not. I don't even know what is a deal right now in regards (laughs) to EV. It's it's all so new.
1: Well, you have to keep trucks moving, right? So if you want your own, you're like, I don't want, I can't just have my guys running over to your place to charge all the time. We need our own chargers. Have you priced out what putting chargers in one of your depots would be? I heard they can, though, just not even the truck, just the charger alone can be not just costly, but you also have to deal with the utility.
4: Sure. Yet that. So when you go to, if you were to buy the trucks, sure. Like, uh, they are super expensive, but for any like new entrant right now, and what is the, I guess more of a hot ticket here in Southern California is the leasing model where if you want to, let's say you lease the truck, you want to buy it for, I don't know, 10, seven, 10 years, or you want to lease it out for that period of time. Well, you also lease the chargers for that period of time. Well, most of us truckers don't own the lots or or the yards or the depots that we're in. We lease them. Uh, that said we have to get permission to do anything in the yard. Um, if let's say for instance, my lease is up in three years and today I want to get a, an electric truck and I've got a 10 year lease commitment. What do I do? Um, I'm kind of stuck. It's just, I I can't charge the vehicle or I I don't go that route or I go with, uh, someone who has infrastructure, which means I pause. And that's really realistically where the industry is. I mean, if you look at most guys, if Matt didn't say it, but most the Harbor, uh, truck registry, which is basically every truck that's registered to go in and out of the harbors here in LA, you've got, I, I think last I checked, it was like 85 electric vehicles. I mean, if you take a top 10, importers you got walmart target home depot lowe's uh samsung lg how many trucks are needed to service those guys they're just let's say just one of those guys uh you need hundreds of trucks just to service one of them that that said you've got
1: you would need yeah. 90 just to service the Taylor Swift tours. We talked about at the the opening of the show. I mean, if you understand oh. that in freight things, we're talking about really big numbers. When we talk to trucks, yeah. how many, for example, how many trucks? So this is six months away. Matt said by the 24 to add capacity, you got to have them zero EVs. How many EV trucks do you have?
4: We currently have zero. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any on order? And if you look, if you look, uh, I mean, we've got commitments, yeah. but it's like anything else uh, with a commitment in the EV sector, I'm still waiting on the vehicles because I'm still waiting on the vehicles. And I'm also, once the vehicles arrive, the reason they haven't arrived for a lot of the uh, companies is it's just lack of, if I had one gas station to fill up my diesel truck, I'd have a problem. And that's what's going on. There's there's one or two places to, to basically charge your trucks right now. Now, some people, I I would say like the big boys, like Maersk, uh, the steamship lines who have gotten involved, uh, have their own internal infrastructures. And I would say they're probably ahead of the game as far as, but, uh, just total let's just say total infrastructure, but like realistically, how, how much that there covers your Walmart, how about everybody else? And it's just, it's not there. The, The numbers don't add up and, I don't foresee them adding up for the next two, three, four years.
1: No, these back orders have been going on for a while. It's hard to stand up some of these trucks, right? I mean, I know they've been taking a long time, but I think Nikola themselves last time I saw like a picture of their lot and they had their, their earnings. I think they only had like 300 trucks to begin with, right? For everybody, yeah. they have like 300 trucks that they're trying to dispense. So that's, that's That's all that they've, that's all that they have. Is do you have do you like any solutions out there? Like, if you could pick some right now, or those back orders could get fulfilled, are the EVs out there that would be sustainable for you guys?
4: I think for me as a trucker, my number one thing is efficiency, uh, yeah. just as a solely as an operator. Uh, and the it's there that I've found and then that I've tested, I haven't, I don't have a full fully efficient model yet to give you an idea like you these things charge 200 300 someone will slap me in the face no they charge 400 miles, whatever it is the the real mileage on these things you can get from la if you like, were to look at a map you can get from long beach to essentially like fontana moreno valley and back and you're out of juice that's yeah 140 miles 150 miles you're out of juice. What, what do I do if I'm to put an employee in that truck for, let's say, a minimum of eight hours a day, and I'm getting a four to six hour run out of him? What do I do with the employee for the extra two, three, four hours a day? What do I do with him? And this is a real world scenario is where the the, the mileage is right now on these vehicles. What's going on here in California is that a lot of the Companies uh, that own warehouses, uh, there's also a CARB warehouse rule uh, where companies, if they have electric vehicles or electric uh, yard maintenance uh, vehicles, uh, the warehouse is energy efficient as far as lights, you get tax credits. Uh, that's the big thing out here. And like, okay, there's no trucks to give me your, your tax credits. I'm not really sure how, how, how to like put a square, you know, a square peg in a round hole. It's it's just not there right now. So, really, what realistically, my take, my take on the whole thing
2: yeah. is
4: that it's if they were to mandate the infrastructure first, everything would follow. But instead, they wanted the trucks first, and now you know everything takes its time or, or to catch up. But if you were to mandate the infrastructure and then put a timeline on the infrastructure, because all these companies, this is like a new California Gold Rush. Is this EV stuff? So if, if there's plenty of Buku bucks behind this stuff, uh, if anyone gets behind me, let me know. But there is plenty of, like, uh, all kinds of investment money that is sitting in Silicon Valley right now. And all these guys, if they were to push that on the infrastructure, 100%, 110%, the trucks would follow, and you're about two to four years out.
1: So with this in mind, with these unrealistic timelines, what does 2024 look like for JCT? How are you planning for that year? The,
4: uh, oh, that's a good question. Uh, basically right now with freight, the way it is, as far as it, it's just a down market. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really just to maintain, uh, with what you got for 2023, uh, take what you can for 2023. And then for 2024 is realistically it's a crapshoot right now. I no one's it's it's similar to like what A B five was uh, a year ago, where it was just like, okay, what do we do? Uh and it's the same uh who who's gonna move first? And that's kind of what's going on with the EV. Because I'm sure that somebody's gonna sue the state and then it puts an injunction on it, and then it'll pause everything for a little while. Um really kill
1: What's California doing with all these trucks that they're uh, getting rid of? What are they doing with the ones that that are 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 no good anymore in their opinion?
4: Some of the guys uh, in our fleet that uh, trucks have worked their way out uh, in terms of the you know the year of the truck. They've gone. The trucks have been sold to Houston, Chicago. um, They use them for over the road, um, you know, point A to point B. uh, But they they're just not here anymore. Wow. The 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 the, um, the registrations are tied. Once the registration rolls itself out, uh, it doesn't allow the truck to register anymore. Uh, you'll still have guys don't get me wrong that they're probably running dirty, but uh, as soon as the registration expires, they just won't allow the registration to renew and then your truck's dead.
1: Do I have to pay a what is a clean truck fee? Do I have to pay a clean truck fee on my EV truck? Uh-huh.
4: <laughs> uh no, but you get uh, the the it's 10 bucks for a 20 and 20 bucks for a 40 the that's what you pay now if you go in with a diesel with a electric you don't pay that fee um, in when that fee was being negotiated uh, about a year ago uh, Matt was telling us that uh, they wanted somewhere they being the uh, like EPA and uh, car related folks were wanting somewhere in the range of like a hundred dollars for twenty and two hundred dollars for 40 and the argument was it was just basically gonna chase all the freight. It's going to chase all the freight out of California. I mean, I, I feel like every mandate uh, that comes down the pipeline, everyone always says the same thing: you're chasing the freight out of California.
1: Wow, wow. Hey, before I but let I, you go, we started off talking about. A, fit- sorry, Ian. We started sorry. off talking about fitness. Do you, you got a quick tip on getting out of the dad bod mode?
4: I I started running. Uh, the running. gentleman on uh, with the uh, the fitness, he was a good looking man. Yeah, uh, I think he would be great. He would be great for a calendar, a trucker calendar. I think we need for one. sure. He was like a master McConaughey.
1: Yeah. Can we, can we put uh, you in December? Can we put you on the shelf in your elf outfit?
4: What's funny is December is actually my birthday, so that's a win-win in my book.
1: It really would. It's your birthday, and you're uh, and you're a, a swimsuit model. Well, hey everybody, go check out JCT. Go check out Ian Weiland. I know it's a challenge. and I know a lot of you are pulling your hair out waiting for 2024. And like you said, it's like AB5. Who knows how it's going to impact? The industry. We'll keep covering it on here, though. Follow me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Find the show at FW What we'll the Truck. Subscribe to this wherever you get podcasts. We're a live show Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at noon Eastern Time. You can watch it on FreightWaves TV at tv.freightwaves.com, and hey, now we're streaming on Twitter too at uh, FWTV.com. Anyways, take care. Don't be a stranger.